My son Justin, when he was growing up, he had a childhood friend by the name of Eliakim. And one day at the dinner table, my brother-in-law, his family were with us for dinner, and Justin started talking about his friend Eliakim, but he didn't use him by name. He was just telling a story about a friend of his and some things they were doing. And my brother-in-law said, Justin, what's your friend's name? And Justin said, Eliakim. And Udell said, my brother-in-law said, I don't know if I like him or not. What's his name? And Justin looked at him kind of strange and said, you like him. And Udell looked at him kind of strange and said, I don't know if I like him. I've never met him. What's his name? And Justin looked at him even stranger and said, you like him. And Udell looked back at him even stranger and said, I don't know if I like him or not, Justin. I'm sure I will. He's your friend. I'll probably like your friend. I just want to know his name. What's his name? And that went on for about 30 seconds. Sitting there the whole time, I knew exactly what was happening. I didn't want to say anything. I just wanted to let it play out, see how it went, because I'm cruel that way. (laughs) Finally had to intervene and explain to my brother-in-law, the kid's name is Eliakim. Names are important to us. We want people to get our names right, and we want to get other people's names right, because when we don't, it's very awkward, it's very embarrassing, it just creates kind of a tense situation. When I was growing up, I had a lot of different nicknames, and people used to play off of my name, my name being Mark. People called me Marcus Aurelius, Marco Polo, Mark Twain. And then there was this great joke when I was growing up, it went like this, what is the sound of a hair lip dog? Mark, Mark. Mark, Mark, I grew up with that. Anybody says that to me, you will see a pastor go into the flesh very, very quickly. I attended Reinhardt Junior College, which is just a few miles north of here in Waleska, Georgia. Back in that day, it was just a junior college. Now it's a four-year school. About 300 students was all that was there, and there were three Mark Walkers in this class. The way we differentiated from one another, we had the short Mark Walker, the fat Mark Walker, and the tall Mark Walker. I'll let you figure out which one I was. And then growing up, just having the dad that I had, Dr. Paul Walker, pastored Mount Perrin for close to 40 years in the city of Atlanta, successful church, well-known church leader in the area, an icon in the church of God. He's known in most nations all over the world because he's preached in about every nation. He has a ministry that goes 60 plus years. And when people find out who I am, even to this day, They say, oh, you're Dr. Walker's son, and that becomes my name to them. They introduce me to people. They don't use my name. They say, this is Dr. Walker's son. People ask me, well, what's your name? I just say, Dr. Walker's son. I just go ahead and adopt the name. But I'll never forget the time several years ago, Dad and I are at the movies together, and we're at the concession counter getting our food, and he's at the cash register about to buy his food, and I'm standing a couple of people down from him waiting in line. And the, ca- the, the lady behind the cash register looks at my dad and says, Sir, where do I know you from? You look familiar. Dad says, I, I don't know. She said, well, what do you do? He said, I'm a pastor. She says, where do you pastor? He said, Mount Perrin. She said, oh, I attend Mount Perrin North. You are, and I knew exactly what she was going to say. You're Dr. Walker. And then when she saw me, oh, you're Dr. Walker's son. I've seen this play out thousands and thousands of times. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my dad. I don't have a problem being Dr. Walker's son. He's the greatest man I know. But every now and then, I want my own name, if you know what I'm saying. But this woman didn't say that. She said, oh, you're Mark Walker's dad. It was awesome. 
She says, I attend Mount Paramount. I love to hear your son preach. He ministers to me. And she said, I think I've heard you a couple of times. And man, I just pushed everybody away to make my face known. And she said, oh, Pastor Mark, it's great to see you. I love you so much. It was the only time I've ever danced before the Lord in public. It was awesome. Names are sacred. They're important to us. In the Hebrew culture, they were even more important. Because a parent would name their child according to the character they believed that child would demonstrate. According to the destiny and the purpose that these parents were hoping for their children. And when a Hebrew person changed their name, it was an, a sign of change of their character. And the person who changed their name was the one who was in authority over their lives. This morning in our series, Changed, as we continue in it, we want to take a look at the time when Jesus Christ changed Simon's name to Peter. Now this begins in John chapter 1. Jesus Christ has just started his public ministry. He's just been baptized by John the Baptist. And after he's baptized, some of the disciples of John the Baptist are standing there with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist says, you see that guy I just baptized? He's the Messiah. He's the one you need to go follow. And one of those who begin to follow him is Andrew. And we pick up the story in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 40, looking at verse 40 and 42. Here's what the story says. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said, John the Baptist, and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. Messiah means the anointed one, Hebrew, and the Greek equivalent to that is the word Christ, which also means the anointed one. Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus, brought Peter. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You would be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Cephas is Aramaic. Peter is Greek, and it means rock. And here, the first thing Jesus does when he meets Simon Peter is he looks at him. He says, you're Simon now. I see you as rock. Now, we're not really sure what Simon means. Some people believe it means reed, and a reed was like a, a flimsy type of weed or, or branch or whatever that, that kind of blew with the wind. Aren't sure if that's what it means or not, but we know what Jesus is saying to Peter. You're a rock. That's who you are now. That's how I see you. That's where I'm going to lead you. That's where I'm going to take you. I'm going to lead you into the transformation to become who you were designed to be. And he's saying to Simon Peter, follow me, and this is what you'll become. And he says that to every one of us. Jesus Christ knows exactly what we're designed to be. He knows exactly who we are supposed to be, and he's the one that takes us there. Now, it's interesting, after Jesus Christ says this to Peter, that you're now going to be called Peter, throughout the Gospels, we often see Simon Peter called Simon Peter. Very seldom do you see him just called Peter. And the scholars really don't know why he continued to call him Simon Peter, other than perhaps the writers wrote this to remind the reader that Simon Peter was once this, but in Jesus he is this, to remind us of what he once was before without Christ, and now who he is with Jesus Christ. But even then, when you look at Peter in the Gospels, I mean, when you look at his stories, he's not very rock-like in the stories. I mean, rock is something that's stable, it's, it's solid, it's dependable, you can build upon it. It doesn't crumble easily, but when you look at Simon Peter, that's not who he was at all for the most part. He wasn't a rock. He was mainly rocky. 
not meaning the boxer Sylvester Stallone movie Rocky, but you know, when you talk about something as Rocky, it's something that's not stable. It's something that is, that is uncertain. You can't really build upon it. It's something that isn't dependable. And that more was what Simon Peter was. He was Rocky more than he was rock-like. And if you look at the stories in the Gospel of Simon Peter, he did have these moments of tremendous success, but man, right behind came failure. And we see this big rocky-type swing, one extreme to the other, with Simon Peter. Let's look at this a moment. Let's look at a few rock-like moments and a few rocky-like moments in the life of Simon Peter. One of the first ones we know about is he walked on water. That was a real rock-like moment. The disciples are out in the boat. Jesus Christ is back on the shore of Galilee. He's praying. He decides to catch up with with his disciples, so he walks on the water. Simon Peter sees him out there, and he says, hey, if that's you, Lord, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, well, come on out. And Simon Peter steps out, and he walks on the water. Man, what a rock-like moment. He's standing on the water, but then in the very next moment, whatever he did took his eyes off. Jesus got afraid, lost his faith, whatever it was, and he sank in the water. That's a rocky moment. He had to cry out, Jesus, save me, and the Lord had to keep him from drowning, success to failure in a manner of moments. Then we see another rock-like moment when he catches a record catch of fish. He was a fisherman by trade. He owned his own fishing business. And one day he'd fished all night, and in a rocky-like moment, he had failed at fishing. Fishing all night didn't catch a thing. In fact, he had brought his boats back on shore. It was daybreak. He had cleaned up his nets. Jesus comes along and says, hey, get back in your boat. Bring your nets. Let's go out and catch some fish. Simon Peter was very reluctant about it, saying, like, hey, you're a carpenter. You're a rabbi carpenter. What do you know about fishing? But I will, in respect for you, go out, and he has a record catch of fish like he never had before. Success, and then moments later, failure. And then another rock-like moment is when he confessed Jesus Christ. This is perhaps Simon Peter's greatest rock-like moment. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus Christ is looking at his followers. He says, who do you say that I am? And they say, well, some of you said that you're Jeremiah. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets that has come back to life. He looks at Simon Peter and Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Jesus says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And when he said that, he confesses Jesus. Jesus looks right at him and said, you are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. He's reaffirming who he is. Now, when he says, upon this rock, playing on Simon Peter's new name, rock, he's not saying what the Catholic tradition says, that Peter becomes the first pope and the rock was, and the church was built upon Simon Peter. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that I'm going to build my church upon everyone who confesses that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, and he builds the church upon every person who calls Jesus Lord and Savior of their lives. And this is a great moment for Simon Peter, but just a few hours later, Simon Peter tempts Christ. He confessed him, and then a few hours later, he tempts him. Jesus tells his followers, we're heading back to Jerusalem. When we get there, they're going to arrest me, and they're going to put me to death. And Simon Peter goes, no, ain't going to happen, Jesus. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let them do this to you. We're not going to Jerusalem. Now, when he said that to Jesus, Jesus didn't say, well, look, Simon Peter, thanks for your care and concern. I appreciate that. I'll take this under advisement. That's not what he said. As soon as Simon Peter said, We're not taking, you're not going back there, Jesus looked at him and said, Satan, get behind me. Now, when Jesus calls you Satan, you've got some issues in your life. I just want to let you know that. He says, you don't have the mind of God. You've got the mind of men. 
And then, probably the failure of all failures. In a rock-like moment, Jesus says to them, just before he's about to get arrested, he says to his followers, you're going to betray me. Every one of you, he looks at Simon Peter and says, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. And in a rock-like moment, Simon Peter says, Lord, I'll never deny you. It'll never happen. These guys may run away. I'll die for you. I'll never deny you. Do you know just a few hours later after Jesus is arrested, Simon Peter denies Christ three times? Three different people came up to Simon Peter at three different times and said, you're one of his followers, aren't you? Two of those was a woman and a child. And Simon Peter says, no, I don't know him. And then one time, cursed him. Wow. Failure of all failures. Denies even knowing who Jesus is. And I look at this Simon Peter who Jesus says, you are a rock. And I'm trying to figure out what does Jesus see? Because Simon Peter was so unrock-like and he was such a failure. But you know, when I look in Simon Peter, you know what I really see? I really see the greatest successful failure you can find. And I want to talk about this idea of how we can move from being rocky in our failures to more rock-like. How does God see our failures? How does God see us in our failures? Can failures even be followers of Christ? And can followers of Christ really fail? And to look at this, we're going to look at John chapter 21, where Jesus Christ has resurrected from the dead. He's already appeared to his disciples on two other occasions. His disciples, many of them, have gone back to Galilee where they're from. Simon Peter has gone back. He's got several of his fishermen with him, several of his disciples. And they decide they're going to go back out fishing. And as far as we know, it's been at least three years before Simon Peter has, uh, since Simon Peter has fished. He walked with Jesus for three years. Now get the picture here. He's feeling the sting of his failure. He's feeling, I've blown it. I have failed as a follower of Jesus Christ. I walked with him for three years, and man, I denied him. I have failed as his follower. He's going back to fishing, something he thinks he's good at, something he's confident in. i got to get back here, something I can do good. Story tells us in John 21, he goes out to fish with his friends. They fish all night, and he's still bad at it. He didn't catch a thing. Have you ever been in a situation where it's like no matter how hard you try to get it right, it turns out wrong? That no matter how hard you try to be successful, it just seems to fail. And you have these series of failures that you just can't seem to get out from under. And it just keeps as a reminder that you're such a loser, you just can't get it right. Can I tell you there's an enemy called Satan who wants to constantly rub our failures in our face? Wants to constantly let us know we'll never measure up, we can never make it? Wants to constantly remind us of how bad we do? And Man, I bet Simon Peter, when he doesn't catch anything, he's thinking, man, I, I can't even do this right. And then Jesus Christ comes on the scene. And let's pick up the story. In John 21, verse 4, he says, or John writes, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, 
Haven't you any fish? Here's the first thing I want to say about becoming a successful failure, if you will. Moving from rock, rocky to rock-like. Although we fail, Christ still calls us friends. Jesus is standing on the seashore, and he sees these guys and Simon Peter failing Again, this was not the first time he'd seen these guys fail. He had seen these guys and Simon Peter fail time and time again. In fact, all of the moments we just went through out of the Gospels just a moment ago, Jesus was there at every one of them. Jesus saw Simon Peter fail constantly. And here, once again, he's seeing Simon Peter fail. But he doesn't yell out to Simon Peter and to the followers out there. He doesn't say, hey, you bunch of losers, you good-for-nothings. Man, yeah, you are terrible. I don't even know why I spend any time with you. You're an embarrassment to me. I want to have nothing to do with you. He doesn't kick them to the curb. He yells out to them, friends. And that word friend is a term of endearment. In the Greek, it literally means a close companion, someone who's an intimate friend. It's like a, a brother or a sister, someone very close to you. He uses a very intimate term for a group of guys that are failing once again. Can I say to you, in your greatest failures, Jesus Christ is standing right there. He knows when you're going to fail. He knows exactly what that failure is going to be. And he doesn't stand there and condemn you and me. He looks at us and says, I love you. I care for you. I still want to be your friend. It's one of the greatest loves and graces of God. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, every follower of Christ begins as a failure. To even be a follower of Christ, I've got to admit I'm a failure, that I have failed God in my sin. Pastor Jeremy was talking about it just a moment ago after our worship time, about how Jesus paid it all. we got to come to a place in order to follow him. We say, I need a Savior. I have failed. Every follower begins as a failure, and every follower after becoming a follower will fail. Here's the beauty of the love of God. He sees every one of his followers, every follower of Jesus Christ. God looks at us through the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. I've heard scholars say it's our position in him. Our position in Christ is that God sees us through the perfection righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's our position. That's how he sees us. Perfect in Jesus. But our practical place in life is that we haven't reached the stage of perfection that Jesus Christ is working in our lives, leading us to that place. That we still fail, we still falter, but Jesus Christ is still standing there saying, I want you to still walk with me. I love you. I care for you. Even though we fail, he calls us friends. He yells out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, we haven't. They don't even know it's Jesus. He says, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. They do record catch a fish. Then they realize this is Christ. Simon Peter gets so excited, he dives in the water and swims to shore. The other guys are left to pull the haul in. They get to shore, and John picks up the story in John 21, beginning in verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Then verse 12, come and have breakfast. Second thing I would say about, say about becoming a successful failure is although we fail, Christ invites us to himself. He calls us friends, but then invites us to himself. He had everything that those guys needed ready for them. He had 
fish cooking. He had bread made. He told them, you bring some of the fish. He had a feast. These guys were tired. They'd been out all night on the sea. They are hungry. And man, he invites them to himself. Come and have breakfast with me. Now, when, in the time of Jesus, you just didn't eat with anybody. It was a very social, uh, uh, um, impactful thing as to who you ate with. Whoever you invited to your table, couple of things. One, you valued them. It showed a sign that you valued them. And secondly, that you wanted to reflect their values. I mean, in essence, who you ate with was who you were. That's how the community saw you. Here Jesus is inviting these failures, inviting these losers, inviting these guys that were messing up more than they were getting things right, inviting them to come and have breakfast with him because he's saying, I still want to be in a relationship with you. I still associate with you. Your mess up and your failures do not bother me. I don't care about that. I will get right into your mess with you because I love you and I want you to be in relationship with me. In essence, he's saying to you and I this. He is the place for everything that we need. He is the place of our forgiveness. He is the place of our deliverance. He is the place of our healing. He is the place of our our transformation. He is our place of truth. He is our place of life. He is our place of wholeness. And when you and I fail the Lord, when you and I falter and mess up, The thing not to do is to run from him. The thing to do is to run to him. He's the only one that can clean up where we fail. Our mess-ups of our failure are best in the hands of Jesus Christ. Man, I am thankful. I am thankful that he's not afraid to step up and step in to what I've messed up in my life. When he came to this earth, that's exactly what he did for every one of us. We create the mess in this world. Not him. A lot of people blame God. God didn't do this. We did it. But God's the one undoing it if we'll let him. And he's not afraid of the mess. In fact, he says, I've got everything you need prepared. You come and you dine with me. Our mess-ups are best in his hands. Although we fail, he calls us friends. Although we fail, he still invites us to himself. And the last thing I would share with you is this. After they ate, Jesus Christ pulls Simon Peter off by himself, and he asks him this question. In verse 15 of 21, he says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Two more times he asked that very same question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? For a total of three times. Each time Simon responds by saying, yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, feed my lambs. Two things I find interesting. Number one, How did he address Simon Peter? He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He didn't call him by the new name he had given him. He called him by his old name as if to say, Simon, here's the point of decision. What are you going to be? You're going to be what you were? Are you going to be what I've called you to be? Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
given Simon Peter the opportunity to say, yes, I want to walk with you. The other thing about this that's interesting to me is that Jesus asked him three times. Simon Peter denied him three times. Here Jesus gives him the opportunity to acknowledge him three times. I don't know if that was Jesus' strategy or not. I just find it very, very interesting. Simon Peter, here's the point of decision. Then after he asks him three times, do you love me? Simon Peter acknowledges him. Jesus actually tells Simon Peter how he's going to be martyred because of following Jesus Christ. And then the last thing Jesus says to him in verse 19, then he said to him, follow me. Say, follow me. One more time, follow me. Follow me. Although we fail, Christ still has a plan and a purpose for our lives. You know what he's saying to Simon Peter here? There's no amount of failure in, this, in your life that disqualifies you from being useful to me. He has seen every one of Simon Peter's failure from the time he met him three years prior till that moment. He has seen everything Simon Peter had done wrong. No amount of failure in your life, Simon Peter, disqualifies you from being useful to me. And it's the same with you and I. The only thing that disqualifies us from being useful to the Lord is if we refuse to respond to him. If we refuse to really let him be the Lord and Savior of our lives. The only thing that disqualifies us is if we just outright refuse to acknowledge who he is. That's the only thing that disqualifies us by our own choice. I mean, if Jesus could only use perfect people, ladies and gentlemen, who would he use? Look at your neighbor and say, probably not you. In fact, if you look at the folks in the Bible that God used, it's amazing that he used anybody. Let me just give you a list of folks and what they had to deal with and what God had to use. First of all, Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was, read your Bible, she was, it says she was ugly. Joseph was abused. <laughs> Moses couldn't talk. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. I don't get that at all. I mean, this list of stuff here, you can accuse me of a lot of this stuff. One thing you're never going to be able to accuse me of is preaching naked. It ain't going to happen. That's just taking the illustrated sermon far too far, in my opinion. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. He can't use you? Nothing of our failures disqualify us for being used of God. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor Mark, it sounds like you're just saying live how you want to live and Jesus will bail you out. Absolutely not. In fact, that's exactly the opposite of what he's saying to Simon Peter. 
He's saying, Simon Peter, you've been living all these different ways. Look at me, Simon Peter. I'm inviting you to follow me. Follow me means to follow somebody so close that you become like them. That's what Jesus is saying to Simon Peter. That's what he's saying to you and I. He's saying, hey, all these other lives, all these other ways you want to go, that's going to lead you into the brokenness that failure of sin will bring. Follow me. Let me lead you. By my Holy Spirit, let me lead you. You look at my life. This is the life I've called you to. No. No, it's not live how we want to live and he'll bail us out. In fact... He may not bail us out. He lets the consequences of our failures come into our lives. Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing about him. When I decide and I choose to follow him and I'm walking with him and it's somewhere in the course of that relationship, I decide I'm going a different direction. I'm not talking about rejecting Jesus. I'm just talking about doing something my way. I'm just talking about kind of going my direction. When I kind of stop following him and go a different direction, you know what will happen? He'll follow me. He follows me to my place of failure, standing right there saying, okay, here I am. Now let's get this right. Let's get this cleaned up. Here I am. He follows me to my place of failure, standing there ready to do what needs to be done to clean it up. He may let the consequences of my failure come into my life, but you know what he'll do? He may not bail me out, but he will see me through my consequences. He'll walk with me through the consequences of my failure. Isn't that awesome? How many of us have said to people, you made your bed, you sleep in it? Those are not the words of Jesus. I will walk with you even when you've walked away from me. Even when you've gone places I didn't want to take you, you went there, I followed you, here I am, okay, let's get it back together, let's start walking, I will see you through. Man, you cannot beat the deal with Jesus Christ. You know what I hear him saying to Simon Peter? When he says, follow me, he says, Simon Peter... I have not given up on you. Don't you give up on me. Every one of us in this room, I don't know where you are. I don't know what guilt you may be dealing with. I don't know what failure you may be struggling with that nobody in the room knows. Not even the closest person in your life knows about. Hear Jesus Christ this morning saying, hey, I'm not giving up on you. You don't give up on me. You give that to me, and let's walk together through this. There was a man by the name of Harold Abrahams. He lived in Great Britain. He was of Jewish descent. His story is told in that classic movie, Chariots of Fire. And he was an Olympic runner for Great Britain in 1924. The first heat he ran, he lost, and it devastated him. There's a scene in the movie after that race. He's sitting up in the stands of the arena. Everybody's gone. The races are over. But he's sitting up in the stands with his fiance, just the two of them, and he is lamenting. He is angry. He's hurt. 
And in angry frustration, he looks at his fiance and says this, if I can't win, I won't run. And his fiance looks back at him in a stroke of wise genius and says, Harold, if you don't run, you can't win. Hear Jesus Christ today. I have not given up on you. Do not give up on me. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to invite the band to come up if they would, please. I don't know, there, there may be some husbands and wives in here who, maybe you're by yourself, maybe you're the husband here without the wife or the wife here without the husband. Maybe you think your marriage is over. Maybe you think you failed in such a way that it's, it's over. I don't know. But I do know there's a Jesus Christ here by his Holy Spirit that wants to heal and restore and make whole. Maybe you're here as a young person and you think, you know, I have... I have failed. I've failed my friends. I've failed the Lord. There, there are things that I've been struggling with and I seem to get it right and then I get it wrong and I just don't think I'm ever going to get this thing right and you just feel like you're kind of left out and you're just kind of one that's never going to measure up. Hear Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit today. Hear them say they love you. Hear them say they have a plan and purpose for your life. Hear them say there's no amount of failure that disqualifies you. Maybe we've got parents and kids in this room and thinking, hey, I don't know. I don't know if this parental relationship's ever going to get right. I don't know if we're ever going to be made whole. I don't know if we're ever going to be able to get reconciled. Hear the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ today. He can make whole. He can restore if everyone will choose to follow him. If everyone will, will, will put in his hands what it is that they have against the other one. I don't know what failure sits in this room. I just know we all fail. Maybe you're a person that struggles with pornography. You thought you had it licked and just recently you, you kind of fell back for whatever reasons. I, I, I know that, that that's shameful. I, I know that's painful, but Hear your Lord and your Savior here today. Hear, hear the Holy Spirit here today. Say to you, He's, he's here. He's got, the, he's got the fish cooking. He's got the bread made. He invites you to Himself. He comes to bring healing and deliverance to you. Maybe you're somebody struggling in your job. Maybe you've lost your job recently. Or maybe your job's on the line. And man, I don't know, there's anything more humiliating or demoralizing than to be failing in a job or maybe lose a job and you just feel so beat up. I want to say, I want you to hear your Lord and your Savior and your the Holy Spirit say to you today, you may lose that job, but He's here to raise you up. He's here. He's not going to let you fall completely. He's got a hold of you. He's got a new plan, a new way, a new purpose for you. I don't know what the failures are in the room. I know this, we sang it earlier. Jesus has paid it all. And all to him I owe. 
Father, I lift up every person in this room. God, we tend to more, be more rocky-like than rock-like. It seems with each success right on its heels comes failure. But I thank you, God, you don't kick us to the curb. I thank you that you haven't given up on us. I thank you that you hold us to yourself. I thank you that your grace is sufficient. I pray for marriages. I pray for parental-child relationships. I pray for teenagers and middle schoolers and, 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 and college-age kids in this room right now. I pray for those in their jobs. I pray for those struggling with things like pornography, maybe even drugs, maybe even alcohol, where we thought we had it beat, but we've kind of gotten back into it. God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that the power of your grace, that the power of your forgiveness, the power of your healing, set the captive free here today. May they hear your words that you are their friend and they are your friend. May they hear your words, come and dine with me. I have what you need. May they hear your words. You have a plan for their lives. For all of us, God. Make us whole, set us free, stand us upright, and whatever the consequences we may face because of failure, Lord, we're going to hold to your hand because you're going to see us through. Let it be so, God. Thank you for making us successful failures in Jesus Christ. To the praise of your glory, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can you give God praise? for His grace and His love and His forgiveness.